Yeah, I've gotten used to that introduction of, and she's a gay Christian, so it didn't feel awkward nah, to yeah, me. Yeah. Half of us here are gay Christians. <laughs> good. I'm in good company. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, and I also, I did not know that it was Pentecost Sunday, and uh, I knew it was LA Pride, so I'm taking that in. Um, feels really meaningful. But um, I wanted to, well, I didn't want to exactly brag, but when I thought about uh, these identities of mine being a female and being a lesbian, the biggest thing that came to my mind was gratefulness and pride, that I am so glad to be gay and I am so glad to be a female. Um, and I think that the biggest reason why is because it is those identities that has uniquely informed my faith. Now, if any of you are female and gay, I don't mean to uh, not talk to any of the straight men, but I don't know if you're out there. <laughs> One for sure. <laughs> um, it's not been easy, right? It's been a road filled with pain and isolation and loneliness. In fact, when I was preparing for today, I was talking to my wife and I was like, God, I mean, um, so many of my stories are, they're such a downer. Like, I don't want today to be depressing. Um, and then I sort of just meditated on that for a minute and thought, but that I think is the exact point of this. I think that it's because of that pain and the grief, to me that is what redemption is, that we get to walk the path with Christ towards redemption, and that oftentimes as women and as LGBT people, it is the path of pain and grief that takes us to that new life. Um, I think that if I had been straight, did, I don't know if anybody else grew up Christian, but um, I grew up using tracks. And a lot of the tracks, well, first of all, I had this one that looked like money, so that was like, I could really trick people with that. That was pretty awesome. Like, hey, you want money? But there was this specific track that had like um, me, you know, had like a little picture maybe of me, and it was like on a, on a cliff, and then there was a big, wide, open space, and then like another cliff, and then like Christ. No, it was like God. And the only way possible to get over to God what do you know the next page was like a cross so that like you could walk on the cross on Christ to get to God. And I don't want to diminish what, what I believe Christ did, but also what I have found because of my identities as being queer and female is that I'm not so sure that that was the point of the cross. I'm, I've been learning throughout the years that it has much more to do with the process of what that has meant. <clears throat> um, there is a Rabbi Benny Larp. She talks about this idea called crash theory. And what crash theory is, is that we all have these sort of central messages. Um, I'm totally blanking on what she calls them, master stories. She calls them master stories. And I don't know if you've heard of this before, but essentially we all have a master story. Our beliefs, um, what it means to be a, a man or a woman, all these things, and it's sort of the structure. In my mind, it almost looks like a, a birdcage or something. 
And we go along and we don't even know that we have these master stories, but it informs how we live and who we are, how we dress, who our friends are, everything. And eventually what happens is a crash happens, either an internal shift or some kind of external tragedy happens and that master story no longer works. And we have three options. The first option is to deny that it ever happened. Right, so, so many of us spend a lot of time, I know I'm going to get into some stories where I spent a lot of time and energy trying to deny that a crash ever occurred so that we can just go back to our original master story. Right? Like, I just want to go back to the way that it was. The other option is that we create a new master story that's sort of in reaction. So everything's sort of the opposite. Like, I was a Christian, but now I don't believe in God. Or I, I don't know. I used to be a skater and now I'm a lawyer. <laughs> that like everything just sort of, the only way we can feel safe is by creating something so opposite. And the third option, which obviously sounds like the goal and it sounds healthier because it is, is to take the, the key beliefs that still feel true after that crash and create something new. To create something new with what the crash has taught you. And eventually it happens again and again and again and part of the spiritual path is to allow yourself that breaking open and the creating of new spaces and new beliefs and new master stories. Part of my crash happened while at the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Um, so if you're ever going to figure out that you might be a feminist and you might be gay, Bible college in the Midwest is like the best place to do it. <laughs> I was only a few semesters in and um, I remember it was, you know, meal time. Everybody gathers in the like cafeteria. And um, I'm sitting there as a bunch of, you know, colleagues, women, women and men. And this guy starts talking about ministry and he's like, well, and you know, women, Okay, yeah, so what's he going to say? You know, women are so great. They're just, they have so much to bring. And I'm like, okay, this is really nice and sweet. And they have a lot of wisdom, and they can teach other women so well and children amazingly. Okay. <laughs> but the second a man walks in the door, she needs to shut the Bible and shut her mouth. And I had grown up a Christian, I went to church like, you know, three and a half times a week my entire life. And it never occurred to me that I had never seen a woman up front. Like it was never talked about. Um, but in that moment, it was like time slowed down. And something about what he said, I, I felt sick. I remember just thinking like, I, wa I want to throw up. And as I looked around, everybody was like, yeah, like, agreeing with what he was saying. And because I had never thought about it and I had never really noticed that actually I had been raised in what must have been that kind of belief system, I didn't know what to say back. I for sure could not have used the Bible to prove him wrong. But I walked away with a feeling of a crack. Was I broken? 
Was he wrong? Was I wrong? I didn't know. It wasn't long after that that um, I had the biggest crush of all, and that is I went to bed totally straight. It felt as if I was straight. I really wanted to meet a nice man and go on the mission field. Um, went to sleep one night and woke up the next morning totally in love with Heidi. So that was a shock. I didn't know another gay person. Um, Ellen DeGeneres surely wasn't a thing. The internet was barely a thing. Um, there was no gay Christian conferences. There for sure wasn't a church like this. At least I didn't know about it. It wasn't spoken about in my family, nothing. Like I was a total freak. I had no idea why this random strange sin had landed on me. It also was the most fantastic crush you've ever had. Uh, it was glorious and I wanted to be around her every second and I had never experienced such energy and draw to somebody. But I was determined. I wanted to be a good Christian. I wanted to serve God. I went to Bible college in the Midwest for God's sake. Like this thing was not going to stop me. So I did what any good Christian does. And I spent years and years praying and fasting and confessing my sin. And I asked my friends to pray and fast with me. And I confessed to professors and counselors and anyone that I could find that I thought maybe had the answer or would join me in this battle, I told my struggle to. I felt like kind of a good Christian for this. Like here I was, you know, battling, but also slowly like deteriorated my insides and I became incredibly depressed and anxious. There were a lot, a lot of dark days. I remember praying like, please God, like take this. If you can't take this or you don't want to take this, just take my life because obviously these two identities cannot coexist. And so the only reasonable explanation is that I would die. Pretty big crashes. But I did my best to deny that the crash happened. So if death wasn't about to happen, I started to focus on healing. And I found this church that I had read about. It had a bigger church in New York City, and they were huge on prayer and healing. And they had all these like stories on healing. And I thought, oh my God, I cannot believe that like this one place that happens to be like seems super close to God, <laughs> super filled with the Holy Spirit, does all these healings, has like a sister church in the city I live in. It must be like meant to be. The moment I walked into that church, I mean, I will never forget, like I, it felt like home and hope. And they quickly wrapped their arms around me. I, I was the exact kind of person they were looking for. And so I had only gone there a couple times when I decided to come out to the pastor. Because if all the people that I had told before didn't have the answer, he surely would. And I actually haven't sat in a pew in some time, but I remember sitting in the pew, 
the front row and I remember my legs shaking. I don't know if you've ever been so nervous that your muscles just like involuntarily shake. But I remember shaking as I came out to him. This is a real journal entry from that time. Pastor Al had some really insightful things to say. Women are made to give of themselves and men to take. I need to step out in faith and start giving. Same-sex relationships feel safer because a woman won't take and knows how to nurture. Yet in the end, I will be raped and an empty shell. Ooh, I'm so glad I talked to him. I think he can really help me. My own self-hatred and rejection and my desire for a crash and my master story to not happen had me believe these words. I remember walking out of the church and being like, "Woo! oh my gosh, thank God I came here. I finally found someone with an answer. Yes, like I will feel like I was raped and no wonder I'm attracted to women. Like they do seem extra nurturing. I won't go into a ton of the details of this story, but I ended up dating the associate pastor and we became engaged. Um, at the time, I really thought I wanted it. But the second I put on that ring, I had that same feeling I had that day that the guy at school said, women can't open their mouths with men. I was so anxious I wanted to throw up, and I could not figure out why. My journal pages, I'm so grateful I have my old journals, but it's so interesting. My journal pages are just filled with like, what is wrong with me? I have a godly man I'm married to. He's a part of like a godly church. Why would I be feeling the way that I'm feeling? And then I was riding the L in Chicago, and um, if any of you have been on a train or the L, it's kind of rocky, so you usually gotta hang on. And I was hanging on, and right down I saw this girl, and I immediately thought, oh man, she's like really cute. And so as my focus went from her to my hand, I saw my ring. And I realized in that moment, like, oh, this is a big reason why I'm feeling so anxious, like even the godly man, even the Holy Spirit and being amongst other Christians are not gonna take this away. That combined with some other things with the pastor <clears throat> had me deciding to leave. And the pastor used scripture, of course, right, to try to tear me down in order to stay that I was like a wave of the sea, that I would be tossed back and forth the rest of my life. He used parts of my story to try to manipulate me to stay, other scriptures to show me how bad I was and how much he was the mouthpiece of God. And because I had always believed that like the, who God was came from the outside, I didn't get to hear about it. I was this woman struggling with same-sex attraction. Like, why, how would I get to know what God says? I believed him. I believed that he was the mouthpiece of God for me. 
except for every freaking cell in my body was like, get out. And so I told him, I think that you're right. I think that I am bad. I think I am going to hell. I think that I must not be a very strong person, but I have to leave. And so I ran. I left the church and I broke up with my fiance and I never saw them again. And it took me 10 years to return to church. And a lot of those years, I still believed. I still believed what the pastor had to say about me. But then I began to realize, oh, it was the master's story. It was this, their story that, that was broken. It was not me. And then in fact, I did a freaking crazy good job. And when I think about myself, it's even hard not to cuss because I want to be like, I did a really good job. I was a young person lost, and I stood up to these people that used just about everything to try to get me to stay silent and stay. I'm so grateful for that young woman that lives inside of me. And that theme has started to, like, I see this string through my life where suddenly so many of these stories that once I felt shame about where people called sin, people called bad, actually were some of like my greatest gifts, my greatest strengths lied. And I deeply believe that for each one of us, that when we were created, we were created with an original goodness, that when God breathed into us, there was a belovedness that was breathed into us. And so even when there are bad things, when we uncover and take off the top crap that's up there, underneath is like some really beautiful good things about each one of us. If it weren't for stories like this with the pastor, I think that I would have stayed believing that the story of Christ was about me being bad and God being good, right? And for so many years, I felt like um, there's that scripture, and I can't remember what it is, where like your dog eating uh, scraps. Yeah, your dog eating scraps from the table. And it was like, I was always trying to get up to the table, right? Like, how can I get to the table? Oh, I'll get to the table with all these things, prayer and fasting and everything. But stories like this remind me that actually I think that the story of Christ is all about us realizing that like it's not about getting to the table, it's about creating this like freaking huge table underneath. Like I imagine it being, um, you know, one of those like you go out to like Lebanese food or something and there's like those small like short to the ground tables and you have to like recline on them. I imagine this like table, I can't see the end that way and I can't see the end that way but like and it's really close to the ground and all of us down here are just like together feeding one another, loving one another. Like the point isn't to reach the, the high table, it's to create this new table. I had been taught that because I was a woman and especially because I was a lesbian, I did not have access to God. These messages continue to be told to me. In fact, while I was um, preparing for today, I'm not quite sure. It, uh, 
trolls seem to come in packs or something. Uh, it feels like there's no trolls, and then boom, all of a sudden, I think they kind of are like, hey, we got to get on this one. So this is just one of the bunch I've re received lately. Um, let's see. She's first not at all a Christian. Second of all is not saved. Third of all is deceived and deceiving many. Please pray for this page. I rebuke it in this, I rebuke the spirit behind this page in Jesus' name. The devil is using this page as a puppet of his to do his deceptive work. And when I read that, the first thing I think of is like, I don't want other people to read this who, were, who are currently in a place like I used to be because I know how powerful these words can be. But for me, it just makes me be like, I'm just lounging, man. I'm having a great time down here. And actually, you don't get to define my salvation. That I have the Spirit of God inside of me, and nobody can take that away, and no one can name that for me. So feel free to come on down and enjoy the table if you'd like, but like, I'm not interested in trying to join yours. It's that message that's broken, not me. The biggest way that I've been able to realize all of this is grief. And I don't know if you have grieved, if you've lost someone close to you, or perhaps as you've processed your sexual orientation, you've also grieved. Um, and if you've read the book, uh, Eat, Pray, Love, I always get those mixed up, Eat, Love, Pray. I didn't read the whole book, and it was a lot of years ago, but in the very beginning, she describes this experience of waking up in the middle of the night and realizing that she needs to leave her husband. And her description of grief has stuck with me for the last, I think it was like eight years ago or something I read this book, because it's, it describes it so accurately. She describes being on the bathroom floor, and she's like on her hands and knees, and she's crying and snot is, is like coming out of her nose. I don't, like, when I think about the moments when I am just desperately grieving, that is it. Like, you, there's so much snot, you can't seem to get enough tissue, and it's just pointless. It's just coming out. And if you let yourself get to the bottom of grief, what is left is you breathing. It's quiet. It's just like, and there is peace. When you get to the bottom of grief, there's peace. And when I've gotten to the bottom of my grief, I've found God's voice in the quietness as I breathe. And then the Lord God formed me from the dust, formed them from the dust of the ground and breathed into their nostrils the life and they became a living being. That when I am, have found myself grieving and I find myself quiet in the breathing, 
it's as if I can feel that breath coming into my lungs. First Kings 19, 9 through 12. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets and the sword, with the sword. I am, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So, you know, he's freaking out. Then God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it's been said that the accuracy of a still small voice is, is it's not quite exactly a great translation, that it's much closer to And as I have learned to grieve and push into my pain, I've realized that in the bottom of grief where it's only breath, it's also my breath and God's breath. And that's brought about the healing and redemption for me and the hope of, I am not broken, it was the story that was broken. So I'm not a scientist, so I'm going to get the sciencey part of this wrong. So if anybody's a scientist, please come teach me about this afterwards. But um, I was watching this science thing, and it was trying to explain to non-science people like me that when we breathe, we're actually breathing some of the same atoms that the others before us have, have breathed. That like... When I breathe, perhaps I'm breathing the same, some of the same atoms of the people that I've lost before me, some of the same atoms of Christ. That when he was calling out like, why are you forsaking me, God? Why have you left me? And I feel and connect that to all those moments that I was praying those same prayers, that perhaps we are even breathing some of the same atoms. So when pain comes, I'm a human being, so I run from it, just like anyone else. <laughs> In fact, I was thinking um, about five years ago, my dad asked me if I wanted to run um, the 5K at San Diego Pride. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is so amazing. My dad is like, best Christian in the world, wants to run like a Pride race with me. So I was like, Def definitely, I'll do it. Um, so I didn't realize you needed to really train for a 5K. And my like 65 year old dad was just like, come on. I like moms with strollers were passing me by. I was literally the last person, literally. The people with like the rope were behind me, it was horrible. I have not run a 5K since. So all that to say pain, 
I resist it just like everybody else. But as I feel and sense the pain, it's my breathing that reminds me to push into it. That I have become so aware of hearing and feeling my breath, and it reminds me of the gift of pushing into it. It reminds me of the gift of grieving. It reminds me that like, as I am in pain, I get to join Christ towards heading towards redemption and finding my belovedness and my goodness in that place. I think it's the very kind of thing that changes us as people, and when we as individuals get changed, we change the world. It's kind of how I started the Christian closet. Um, I was a counselor. I had gone to school all the years. That seemed impossible to go to school for that long. And I was a therapist, and I felt like I had had this calling in my life, right? I went to Moody, and all this crap happened, and I just, it was so confusing, but I thought, I'm still going to go on this path. And I was a therapist, and I was like, man, this just, surely this is not it. But I was also closeted. I was also rejecting myself, still continually trying to get this thing under control. And so I eventually walked away from being a therapist. Um, I fell in love with my wife. We moved to a different city, and, and I was pretty lost. I was like working in a um, warehouse. I was like, I, maybe I should have been an accountant, even though I'm horrible at math. And my dad, um, my dad calls me up and he's like, Candace, I want to meet with you because I've been praying for you and I feel like God has told me what you're supposed to do. And I was like, oh man, this is so great. Like, again, my dad was going to be a missionary. He does a like, quiet time every day. Like, if anyone's going to speak to God, it's going, you know, God's going to talk to my dad. So we meet for coffee and he says, I feel like God wants you to do an online counseling organization. And I was like, Oh, thanks, Dad. That's really nice. And I was like, this is the stupidest thing I have ever freaking heard. Like, I didn't like being a counselor before. Like, why would I want to be an online counselor? And who the heck's ever heard of that? Like, it's not even a thing. But through the years, I finally eventually accepted myself and came out. And my wife and I got engaged, and there was all this beauty and love, and I realized that God was in the center of our relationship. And I woke up one morning on my birthday, actually, and I sat up and I was like, oh my God, my dad was right. It's just that like he didn't know the LGBT Christian piece. And it was through that grief and brokenness that I realized I want to walk with people that have similar stories to mine. And so I didn't know how to do it, so I just sort of Googled, like, how do you start a website? And <laughs> how do you do a Facebook page? And I just started, like, randomly calling people, like, hi, I'm a gay Christian. <laughs> I'm doing this thing. Um, and it's turned into this beautiful ministry where my team and I get to meet with people all over the world and we get to meet with people who start off in these broken places of like, I'm, I'm engaged to a man, I'm married to a woman, I am a pastor. And we get to remind them that they are the beloved and that God breathed goodness into them originally in the very beginning. And we get to be with them as they grieve the 
brokenness of their lives and we get to celebrate with them as they embrace themselves and come out and find out that actually there's great redemption in loving themselves and that new stories get to be created and new hope gets to be created. So that is pretty much it for today. Um, I think we're going to do a Q&A. Yeah. If anybody has any questions. Yes, Ashley. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm also a therapist. So I'm curious of why it was online, the online counseling center versus just a counseling center. I think you maybe mentioned it, but I just want to see if there's any specific reason. Thanks. Yeah, it is a very specific reason. Um, I don't know that my dad had this in mind when he mentioned it, but it quickly became clear that, you know, I've lived in mostly big cities, um, Chicago, Seattle, San Diego, LA, all over, right? But in these big cities, there's plenty of therapists and you can usually try to find, you can find somebody who's at least gay affirming. But a big part of our vision is to meet with people that don't live in places that have, um, access to anyone who gets it. And so a lot of times we hear, man, I found someone who's kind of affirming, but they don't get the Christian piece. And they're like, just don't be a Christian and like, you'll be fine. <laughs> or people who get the Christian piece and they're obviously like, well, you shouldn't be gay. Um, and so to have those intersections. So a lot of times we meet people, we meet with people that would have to drive five hours to see a therapist, or we meet with people in other countries that, um, don't have access at all to really any kind of therapy. Um, so it kind of is, those people are the people that we hope to reach is the ones that don't have access. Yeah. <clears throat> I was wondering how you've seen things evolve in kind of your sphere of influence, you know, working with um, gay Christians especially. Um, has it become I guess what I'm trying to say is, has church culture changed a lot in your understanding, you know, over the last 10 years or so, and since you've been out and doing the work you're doing, how have you seen things evolve in the church on this particular issue? Yeah, I wish that I could be like, it's crazy out there, you know, there's so many churches. <laughs> um, so I had mentioned that I had stayed away from church for 10 years. Um, and so when my wife and I um, had kids, my wife carried our twins, Deacon and Dylan, and they're now five. But when they were born, I was like, okay, I, I wanna go back to church. I want our kids to be raised. Um, I was raised in the church and I had a great experience growing up. I want them to know God. I'm like, oh, we live in LA. Um, I'll just get online and like find a cool church and that'll be that. So, um, but Crystal was like, okay, I, you can find these churches, but 
I feel scared that even though we live here in LA, that um, we won't be welcome. So once you find the churches you want to go to, I want you to call them and see if we really are welcome. Which I was like, oh, like, please, no, like, this sounds horrible, but I decided to do it. So I found um, three churches, and they were, like, super cool, you know, banjos and the... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, that's, like, legit cool, you know, nowadays. Yeah, 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 Mumford and Son. Everyone had tats and, like, Brunei, you know, <laughs> maybe similar to yourself. I don't, yeah, so two years ago. I think they've gotten rid of the banjos. But like children's ministries that are awesome, right? So um, I call the first church and the person that answers the phone was like, I realized like, oh crap, I really should have rehearsed this. So it sounded really awkward. So I was like, um, <clears throat> uh, my wife and I and our kids are looking for a church and um, we're gay. So we're wondering like, can we come? Are we going to be like kicked out? Are we going to be discriminated against? I mean, I just was like, oh my God, I don't know what to say. It was horrible. So she quickly puts me on hold, of course. I'm like, oh God. Like I thought she could just be like, yes, no, maybe. And then like it'd be over. So then sure enough, like the pastor gets on the phone and I'm like, oh, this is, I would, I literally would have just hung up if I didn't want to go there so badly, you know? Um, and I, the, the conversation was incredibly painful where he affirmed that like we could, of course could come, but that we wouldn't be able to become members or serve and that there's quite a few people in the congregation who probably wouldn't be quite welcoming. And it was really shocking and really painful. But then what was even more shocking is that the other churches I called, it was like they got, they all went to the same training and is almost word for word like, uh, you know, how they addressed the, the situation. So um, they suggested we go to like this really crazy liberal church where everybody's welcome. And I thought, oh, isn't that supposed to be church? <laughs> uh, so we ended up finding a church um, and we went there and it was great. We went to um, All Saints, which is close by, and, and now we go to New Abbey. So we have found our communities um, throughout the years. But um, it's been really sad because I'm like, if this is what it's like here, I, you know, anywhere else, it's just, um, I can't imagine how lonely and hard that must be. Uh, so it's changing, but it doesn't seem to be changing. It's changing slower than I thought. Yeah. So thanks for what you're doing here too. Yeah. Hello, Louise. Um, I don't really have much of a question. I just want to say thank you for coming here. Um, I think your story is super inspiring, how you were really strong, uh, especially with hearing that engagement story and how everything in your body just didn't, you know, you just knew this wasn't right and how you stood up and how you felt very proud of that little girl um, and how you lean into your pain and breathing into it. I just it's very inspiring, and I'm happy that I came here to see it. So thank you for everything you're doing. Um, that's all I really wanted to say. Yeah. Thanks, Louise. Yes, Caleb. So um, I have a question. I also grew up in church, and uh, thank you again for sharing this story because it resonates with me. But how do you, 
you mentioned your kids and wanting them to grow up in church because I have that same hope and dream, right? But how do you separate the pain that is deeply in you and keep that away from your children without losing the sight of the love of Christ? Thanks. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that's part of the importance of grieving, especially when you have kids, because when we don't grieve, then it's sort of, it can become bitterness and anger, it kind of gets stuck in us. And when that happens, we usually have a way of putting that on others. And so it was really important for us. I, I was in therapy for a lot of years um, and mentors and um, really spent a lot of time grieving those stories so that I wouldn't put it on my kids. And now I get to teach them about this table down here instead of this table. And so it feels really exciting um, because they'll ask questions like my, my son will be like, so um, are bad guys real? Like, yeah, he's like, okay, well, I mean, God doesn't love them, right? <laughs> you know? And I get to be like, Dude, I know this is so mind-blowing, but like God even loves the bad guys, um, which perhaps my parents would have said that to me also, but we get to have a larger conversation about what makes a bad guy. They're usually hurt people. Usually people didn't have a lot of love in their lives. Um, so I get to teach him a lot of nuanced things that I wasn't taught. Um, I will... It's for sure anxiety provoking when um, this next year they go to kindergarten. So for any parent, uh, that's an anxiety, anxiety inducing thing. Like I wanna be in the classroom and know what happens all the time, right? Um, so there's, there's some anxiety of like, okay, so they're gonna be there all day and what's some, what, what will people say to them? Um, like I recently had my sons or my daughter say, mommy, um, why don't you wear dresses? I was like, oh, well, that's a really good question. Like, tell me about what, what's made you think about this. And she's like, well, so-and-so said that you wear boys' clothes. And so why do you wear boys' clothes? And I, I mean, my heart was like pounding, so I'm a little bit like, okay, don't get this wrong. Like, <laughs> ah, tell the little boy to just mind his own business or something, right? <laughs> and I think that if I wasn't, sort of maybe more processed in that, I would have probably tried to make that little boy seem bad instead of the fact that this is like beautiful curiosity. Um, and I got to talk about gender expression and I got to talk about part of the reason why I love being gay is that I get to wear a dude's shirt with women's pants and women's shoes because I have small feet. But like that when I go shopping, I get to go to all the sections and just decide like, what do I want to wear and how fun and exciting and creative that is. Um, so it's, it's kind of trying to create new, new ways of thinking for them that I didn't get to have as a kid. Yeah. Okay, one more question. You go, Ben. So I'm trying to figure out exactly uh, how to phrase my question, but um, I don't know if it's just some uh, uh, personality trait of mine, but you know, especially going through so much pain and, 
and uh, hearing so much uh, painful rhetoric and uh, and you said you had left the church. It would be hard for me, I feel like, to not completely go like, cool, I'm just going to get rid of this whole section of my life. And forgive me if you already elaborated on it. You know, I know you already talked about it a little bit, but could you talk about a little bit more about why you decided to come back? And, and especially after hearing all that rhetoric, how did you change maybe your view of God? Because I, I guess I'm, that's what I'm assuming happened is that it seems like your relationship with God, you know, was strong and that drew, it sounded like that's what drew you kind of back or kept you in the faith and saying that it was their messages that was, were broken. And I'm assuming that obviously a lot of that rhetoric earlier kind of taught you about God, right? I mean, a lot of like what the pastor tells you, you're kind of like, oh, that's, that's the nature of God and blah, blah, blah. And so it sounds like you also came to a new understanding of God. And is it possible you could speak a little bit more about that and, and, and maybe how that changed and why that keeps you uh, in the Christian faith? That makes sense. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it absolutely, I mean, it absolutely was realizing that it was, it was that story of God, that way to see the Bible and interpret scripture that was the problem and not me. And I think as I, because the whole time I, in that 10 years that I wasn't a part of the church, I still had a relationship with God. Right, that I was still, um, I wasn't reading the Bible, but I was still reading books and um, I was seeing God in like non-Christian books and I was seeing and experiencing God in, you know, at a crazy concert as I was like sweating and dancing and like, you know, just the experience and idea of God got way bigger. Um, and so, I think I just, I really was like, I, I hope and I want there to be other people. Surely there are other people um, who are kind of like this, who are thinking about God in this way. Um, I missed friends. Like, I had friends, but like, I missed like community. Um, I missed having a rhythm of doing something every Sunday. Um, I also wanted my kids to see and experience God through other people besides just Crystal and I, um, but I, th I don't know if this will connect with you, but, um, and this might sound a little strange, but there is a, a theory of uh, understanding ourselves that essentially there are kind of like these different parts of us that are inside of us. I like to think about it like a round table. And um, oftentimes parts of us that have been wounded, we kind of like push to the side or we silence them because there's shame and hurt there. But if we can actually, um, the goal is to let all parts of ourselves become alive, right? And be a part of us. And what I realized was the parts of me that were so wounded in the church, she helps me feel safe in church. And she helps me feel safe even to do things like listen to worship music, which is crazy because I never thought I would do that again. Because it was sort of like all worship music is just BS, right? Like this is just horrible, manipulative crud. And, but then I, when we allow the wounded, the gift of the wounded parts of us is that there's a little alarm bell that goes off when it gets close to something like that, 
right? And you start to like get that feeling of like anger or anxiety. And so that little bell goes off when I go into a church or hear music that's like, oh no, this is not right. So now I get to be like, Alexa, play praise music. And then I hear a song, I'm like, oh yeah, this one's good, okay. And then all of a sudden that, that part of me that was so wounded in the church kind of gets the bell and she's like, I'm like, Alexa, skip. Next, oh nope, this one too, Alexa, skip. And so my wounding and the sensitivity to that kind of theology, the sensitivity to those kinds of beliefs is super sensitive. So I, she's, she's my bell ringer and she's a gift that travels with me to know like, oh, this actually is maybe not such a safe place. Um, so I feel comfortable and safe to be in religious settings or reading certain books that I would have stayed away from. Um, so I don't know, does that kind of connect to the question? Okay. Candace, thank you so much. That was so good. Thank you.